Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels. This is John Benzik from VentureSuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you're in a sea of self-doubt. On the Product Launch Rebel podcast today is my guest, William Brown. William is the co-founder and CEO of the medical nutrition company, Trovita Health Science, the maker of NU Meal Replacement Shake. Travitas focuses on developing best-in-class nutrition formulas and delivery systems for chronically ill patients at risk for malnutrition. William's life science career spans 20 years, and during that time he has held leadership roles in companies such as the Helsin Group, Targanta Therapeutics, and MGI Pharma. He has worked on the launches or pre-market development of 17 new products. He earned his Bachelor in Science in Human Factors and Systems Engineering, that's a mouthful, from the United States Military Academy at West Point in New York, and he holds an MBA from Northeastern University in Boston. To learn more about William's company and products, check out drinknu.com, that's drinknu. Dot com and TravitaHealth.com. William, thank you for being here and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thanks for having me, John. It's great. Thank you. So William, within this podcast series, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is what I call Tell Me How where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs need to know to help them move forward now. And the final part is the let's get personal component, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. William, it's time to rock and roll. Are you ready for the interview? I'm ready. Thanks, John. Terrific. Great. So William, number one, as you heard, I provided an introduction about you and your company, but in your own words, describe your company's mission, its products or the product scope, and what makes the products so unique among your customers. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. And uh, Trovita is is really a company that is, a, is about delivering best-in-class clinical nutrition products for, for people that really need supplemental calories, protein, and, and overall nutrition. And that's for people like cancer patients who are going through treatment and losing weight or people that have cystic fibrosis who require a lot more calories than an average person. And we wanted to make products that were different and unique compared to what's available today. There's some big food companies out there that, that make products that are probably very fam familiar to people like Boost and Ensure. And the uh, thing about those products is that they are delivering calories by the use of uh, sugar and corn syrup. And we wanted to make products that were really healthy for people, uh, providing real nutrition uh, from real ingredients with high quality proteins and 
uh, excellent carbohydrate and fat sources and, and loaded with vitamins and minerals. And that's really the, the mission that we have is to change the paradigm of clinical nutrition and providing patients that, that need better nutrition with, with uh, products that will uh, benefit them over the long haul. What's the size of your company? How would you describe that when people ask? Uh, our company is is relatively small. Uh, we're definitely still in the startup phase. Uh, we've had as as many as uh, seven people working for us at at one time, uh, and right now we're doing a little over a million dollars a year in sales. So, William, do you sell the product to retailers? We do. Uh, we sell on a limited basis to retail locations where we do not have to use distributors. Uh, there was one point in the life cycle of our company where we were going to be in more than 1,500 re retail locations around the U.S. And we realized that our product margins would not be uh, what they needed to be to create a sustainable business uh, for the long haul. Uh, and that's really because when you go into you know, large retailers, you need significant amounts of, amounts of capital for slotting fees and marketing support. And so what we've done is work with uh, a limited number of retailers now uh, where we can sell the product directly in to their warehouses and they put it on the shelf without, uh, you know, creating a cash crunch for us. The other uh, way that we sell is directly through e-commerce um, as well as through, you know, places like Amazon.com. What is the nature of those retailers that you sell to? Right now, we're selling to uh, grocery chains uh, in places like HEB, which is a, a regional chain down in Texas that uh, that does a, a large volume of business, and it's right near uh, some cancer centers that are recommending our products to patients. And so, it's a great synergy for us to be able to have you know our product being recommended out of cancer centers like MD Anderson, and then those patients can go to the local HEB there in Houston and pick up our product. So that's a great relationship that we have. Um, we also sell directly into some specialty pharmacies that are co-located in medical practices and, and also hospitals around the U.S. William, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected thereby making them scramble to make changes and just to survive, frankly. Regarding your product's uniqueness, did your original assumption about the product's uniqueness prove motivating to customers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while and after getting customer feedback? Yeah, that's a great question. And as a matter of fact, uh, our uh, assumptions have changed, but they've not changed dramatically. They've they've gone through more of an evolution uh, rather than a, a you know a wholesale kind of doing a 180 and you know having to take a different path. And one of the initial assumptions that we made was that we we may get more um, uh, customer acceptance of our product because of you know the fact that we use non-GMO ingredients or or you know we can you know claim that it's all natural. And while those are great things that are and characteristics that our product does have, what really proved more uh, compelling to customers is that our product contained far less sugar than anything else on the market. And uh, while we, you know, love the fact that the product is all natural, uh, what became uh, really the hallmark of what we're about and what makes us unique and convinces people to buy our product is really the fact that we're offering a healthier solution by not providing as much sugar to people. Give us the genesis or the story of how you came up with the Travita Health Science 
business idea. Give us some more details on that experience. Well, I, I can tell you, my, my two business partners and I have known each other for more than 10 years now at this point. And we all met when we were working at a company called MGI Pharma in Minneapolis. And the the purpose of that company was to develop um, you know, better uh, biotechnology, better pharmaceutical products that address the needs of, of cancer patients. And we developed uh, everything from uh, drugs that battled uh, hematologic cancers like leukemia to drugs that prevented nausea and vomiting um, you know, when people were going through chemotherapy. And as we were going through that experience for, for about five or six years together, we realized that cancer patients have a really unique set of um, quality of life issues that they're facing. And, and one of the biggest problems that cancer patients face is that they lose weight as they go through, or a lot of them lose weight as they go through treatment, and they can hit this cascade point where they start to really fall off and their health uh, deteriorates dramatically because they're not able to keep weight on. And we realized that the nutritional products that are available, available for people today, or before we started Trevita, were just not giving uh, patients the quality of nutrition that they needed. And that inspired us to develop a set of products that delivered uh, better nutrition, you know, higher density of nutrition, and and did that by you know giving people less sugar so that they could uh, avoid some downstream complications. Uh, as an ex just a quick example, um, cystic fibrosis patients are now living longer than they ever have before, and uh, cystic fibrosis patients need uh, about double to almost three times the the calories that a normal person needs on a daily basis. And what's been happening is those patients have lived longer. They're starting to develop diabetes in their you know, early 30s because they had to use products like Boost and Ensure that are just loaded with sugar. And so we've gotten uh, a large amount of acceptance in that population just by cutting the, the sugar load dramatically for those patients. Tell me how. So here we are in the tell me how segment of the podcast, William, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Let's talk about raising capital. Did you raise capital to get the company going? We did. Uh, and, and to be quite honest, that is one of the most challenging uh, aspects that we have dealt with throughout the life of our company so far. Uh, and and uh, we've raised so far about a little over $4 million uh, throughout the life of our company. Uh, but we have a very capital-intensive business that requires a large amount of cash flow for manufacturing. Um, so that's that's really been uh, exciting for us, but also you know very challenging and and time-consuming for us as well. Is this the first time for you as an entrepreneur? This is. I've spent most of my career either in the military or working for publicly traded companies, uh, and so this is the first time I've actually gone out and raised capital on my own. Let's get into the details of how you raised capital. What were some of the very basic early steps you did in that process? Well, one of the very first things that we did was to uh, develop a solid, or what we felt at the time, and, we, and I still think looking back, was a very solid business plan uh, with a clear understanding of what our product offering was going to be, who our customers were going to be, and how, how we were going to deliver that product to those customers. And then we took that out to you know, our friends and family, advisors, and, and other people that we knew could, could give us a critical eye on that. 
And during the course of that, we actually ran across somebody who became very interested in our company and was our first investor in. Um, and, and actually that really, um, you know, helped us kick off the, off the company. And then once we had one, uh, sort of domino that fell, we were able to bring more and more people, uh, into our investor group. When you first wrote that business plan, that initial business plan, what was the key opportunity that you stressed to investors? Well, what we really felt was the, the, the critical, uh, problem that we were going to address in the market was to be able to address the lack of great nutrition options for, for cancer patients. And, and that was our, our initial assumption going in, is that we were going to address uh, uh, nutrition needs in the oncology marketplace, uh, which is you know, a, a large market opportunity, but, but a, a reachable number of customers. And what our uh, investor story was, is that we were going to be able to grow revenue very uh, rapidly, but efficiently because we could reach a large number of people through a limited uh, number of channels. In that initial business plan, how did you state your product or product scope in that business plan? You sort of talked a little bit about the general mission of the company, but how specific were you and how important was that to be specific about the types of products? Uh, it was incredibly important to be specific about the product. Uh, in fact, it, at that point in time, uh, we, we had a product specification and, and actually prototypes of our product that we had already manufactured uh, with the limited resources that the founders were bringing to the table. Um, so we were actually able to have people taste our product, um, sample it, uh, get a sense of the flavor and, and compare, even compare that against the competition to uh, make our investors comfortable with the fact that we, we weren't uh, you know, launching an inferior product to, to other things that were available at the time. On the topic of raising capital, did you? How did you go about that specifically? Did you make a list of people? Did you go on the internet and look for venture capital firms that invested in your type of life science company? Did you call them? What did you say? Give us a feel. Give our listeners a feel for those sort of early steps. I, I will tell you that we did all of the above things that you just said. We we had a list of uh, friends and family. Uh, we had you know targeted investors that had a, um, a viable or, or sorry, a, a, uh, a, a connectivity to our business, I should say. Uh, just as a quick aside, we had one investor who, who's been our lead investor to, to date, whose wife suffered from ALS and who passed away. And, and uh, he had, uh, had been her caretaker for the course of her treatment and nutrition became a, a real big aspect of what he was dealing with with her. And he became very connected to our company and has been a, a great investor for us to be working with over the course of the last four years. But in addition to working with him, we targeted venture capital firms, private equity, uh, and a number of different sources. We, we, we've emailed, we've called, we've met with people in person. Uh, and the one piece of advice I would like to share with anyone is that this is a uh, difficult uh, proposition uh, to go out and attract investors to a company, but the one thing you can never do is give up, uh, and that's that's uh, one thing we've never done is is uh, is write off anyone or or give up along the way. And we we've, we've had an amazing amount of uh, uh, tenacity, I would say, uh, to going out to raising capital. That's the only way to get it done. What were some of the key obstacles to raising capital that you did not expect that might be helpful for? aspiring entrepreneurs to hear? 
Well, I would say that the 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 biggest obstacle that we've had is that, and and this is maybe a little bit unique to our company, but it could translate to someone else by uh, realizing that they really need to have a a, a sincere focus in what they're doing. Uh, while on one hand, our company looks like it is a uh, medical, you know, clinical nutrition company, which throws us into the life science category. Uh, we do have products that are in development right now that are classified as medical devices and nutrition products. And so um, we're definitely skewed a little bit more towards life science by virtue of the fact that we have a drinkable product that's sold in grocery stores. A lot of people thought we were a consumer uh, packaged goods company. And so people didn't really know where to place us. The life science um, investors would say, oh, but you're a CPG company. And then we might visit with a CPG focused uh, venture capital firm. And, they'll, and they would say things like, well, you've got these medical devices. We don't really know how to classify you. And so we became this sort of in-between company. And when when we were dealing with VC firms or, or institutional investors, uh, we had a bit of a hard time. And it took us uh, really focusing more on people that had uh, a knowledge of of our specific space uh, and also a connectivity to our business to really attract people to our company. And so the one piece of advice I would give people is if you get it at all focus uh, your business more than we were able to, I think there may be a bit of an easier time attracting investors. Many aspiring entrepreneurs hesitate and don't commit to their startup idea when they feel insecure about going out and raising capital, going to friends and family, things like that. Do you remember what it felt like for you being a first-time entrepreneur going out and asking for money? I tell you, it was the most nervous I've ever been in front of another person in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I think and maybe in my whole life, uh, maybe other than asking my wife if she was going to marry me, uh, that, that uh, adrenaline rush that you get the first time you go out and, and present your business concept is, uh, is still palpable to, to me today. Um, and I remember the, the fear uh, that I had. But, but after about you know, three or four meetings and you get very comfortable with your messaging and you, you get uh, some critical feedback along the way and you can adjust you know, how you're presenting, uh, I got much more comfortable with things. And I, and I feel like even today, our story is, is, is better than ever because of the four years of experience that we've had going out, meeting with investors, meeting with um, you know, potential customers uh, and clients as well. Uh, you just get better at it along the way. But you have to start somewhere, and that's, that's really the key. Let's shift gears a little bit in talking about finding a manufacturer. Regarding the NU beverage, how did you go about producing and packaging that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and the, the production of that actually stems a, in many ways from the design and, and sort of um, characteristics that we wanted to achieve for the product. Uh, our product is uh, essentially an all-natural product. We don't claim that on our packaging or anything, but, but it doesn't use any artificial ingredients. And we wanted to make sure that our manufacturing process could support maintaining that claim. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of manufacturing process would require us to add, uh, add in food additives or preservatives or different things to extend the shelf life. And we knew that we didn't want to do that. And so we, we ended up choosing a manufacturing process that is called aseptic uh, or sterile manufacturing. And it allows us to package the product in a container that's made by a company called Tetra Pak. And essentially, those are 
probably everyone's familiar with them, but coconut water is sold in them. They're the kind of cardboard looking uh, packs that have the screw top. And the, the real benefit of those is that you can uh, manufacture the product in a sterile environment, not have to use food additives, and then also get uh, extended shelf life of more than a year for the product. And that really addressed all of the concerns that we had. Uh, now, for us, we knew that uh, Tetra Pak is relatively limited in terms of the the uh, manufacturing capacity in the United States. And it turns out there were only four locations in North America that could make our product. And so it made the, the search a little narrower for us. Uh, but on the other hand, we had to actually go out and convince our manufacturing partner that we were worthy of uh, getting space on their line because there, there was actually a, a waiting list of people that, that um, you know, want to get on those lines. And so we had to go out and pitch our business actually to the manufacturer to get them to support us. William, did you always know early on that you had to put your product in the paper package or were you looking at other packaging techniques as well? Well, we did actually look at other uh, packaging techniques and, and there are uh, aseptic methods that would allow us to go into plastic bottles and, and things like that. The, the difference um, with those options is that the minimum uh, ordering requirements are, were far more than what we were able to, to handle at that time. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're just now starting to, you know, four, you know, well, two years in uh, to being commercial with this product, just now able to start looking at some alternative packaging options that, um, you know, wouldn't be in bottles or other things that would allow us to maintain the integrity of our product, but, uh, you know, take advantage of some of the higher minimums. And so we did have a working assumption going in uh, with, you know, based on consulting with our food science team that the Tetra Pak you know, paper options would be the best way for us to go. In searching for a manufacturer, were there any problems or issues that you uncovered in the early stages? And what were they? Well, I, I would say that the, the biggest challenge was to, to finding a manufacturer was actually ourselves. Um, we were an unproven company. Our, our product at the time was still essentially a conceptual idea. Um, manufacturers looked at the profile of the product and, you know, thought it would be a little bit difficult to make. Um, certainly it wasn't like, you know, making a, a juice or something where there were, you know, two or three ingredients. Our, our product has, you know, a high number of vitamins and minerals and a, and a large amount of protein in it. And so it's a, a bit more difficult to make. And so we had to really convince our manufacturer that, our product was going to be meaningful for people and it was going to make a difference in people's lives. And as it turns out, that's really been the case over the last couple of years. But, but uh, early on, we, we really had to sell the manufacturer on, on actually working with us. How did you come up with the recipe? We actually worked with uh, a number of different um, medical uh, specialists. And, and in, in this particular case, we worked with physicians and also registered dietitians um, to consult on the design of the formula. And we've actually evolved our formula uh, over, over the life cycle of the product to continue to try to improve it. But initially, uh, we worked with cancer dietitians who were working with cancer patients on a daily basis. And, and they said, you know what would be uh, we, we almost gave them carte blanche and said, if you could design the perfect uh, nutritional product for your patients, what would it look like? And every person that we talked to said, well, it wouldn't look like what's available today. <laughs> and so it, it, it almost became the sort of wish list of things that they wanted to see. And, and we took that and then we worked with um, a food scientist 
to actually develop and craft a formula that we could then turn around and manufacture. William, you mentioned that when you first approached your manufacturer, they were somewhat reluctant to work with you. How specifically did you sell yourself to that manufacturer? Well, it turns out that our our food science team that we were working with uh, initially had a relationship um, and, a, and a reputation in, in the industry uh, for being able to develop good products that were able to be successfully manufactured. And I would say beyond just the fact that we were an unproven team, our product was a little bit on the difficult, I would say on a scale of one to 10, it was probably an eight on difficulty to make it. And the reputation of our food scientist um, and the fact that he had successfully developed other products uh, really gave our manufacturer comfort that they could successfully make our product. And it turns out that uh, their concerns were, were uh, you know, all for naught. We ended up with a great product and something that was uh, very well accepted among consumers. But, um, you know, if you're making something or, or developing a product that, uh, you know, is based on an engineering design, you know, that may be a little bit easier to approach. But, it, but you know, there, in food, there's a lot of variables that can go into play. And, you know, some of those are heat-related uh, uh, protein related. You don't want to end up making things that are, um, you know, supposed to be drinkable, but they turn into scrambled eggs or something. So uh, we we had to really um, prove to the manufacturer that we were going to have a successful product. And it turns out at, at the end of the day, we did, which is which is a you know great for our customers as well. Let's switch the topic to selling the product to retailers. Many aspiring entrepreneurs are not aware of the cost that goes into all of the activities to support retail. Tell me a little bit about what you learned about selling to retailers and what might be beneficial for a first-time consumer packaged good company. Well, I would say the, the biggest lesson that we learned along the way is that uh, jumping too quickly into a retail environment could end up causing uh, major problems for a small organization. Um, and I'll give you a, a, just a quick example of the amount of capital that would be needed to go into a, a retail company. Um, ab about a little over a year ago, we were gonna, going to be shipping to about 1,500 um, retail locations around the country. Uh, that everything from grocery stores to you know, pharmacies, et cetera. And you know, every time we would go into a new chain, um, we, we would end up having to pay somewhere around $40,000 per inventory item. And we have two flavors, so that would be an $80,000 commitment just to get space on the shelf. And I think people really need to pause and listen to what you just said. That is a lot of money, $40,000 for one product. And for two products, $80,000. Well, and it gets worse because we started to have some velocity. Uh, so we were moving product off the shelf relatively quickly. We started to get some some consumer uh, utilization, and we were doing marketing programs that maybe five to ten thousand dollars for a, a week uh, to have you know signage up next to the product on the shelf in various locations. And, and we started to get movement, and that actually attracted the. Uh, attention of a very large re national retailer uh, that's located in Minneapolis, and we went in to have a meeting with them. And it turns out that they really liked our product, and we were high fiving, you know, as we left the meeting. And then we realized after the meeting that 
our uh, slotting fees just to get on the shelf with this particular company was going to be $75,000. Um, and then they wanted $300,000 worth of advertising commitments in the first 12 months. And we stopped high-fiving at that point and realized that we were too small uh, to handle that retailer and just did not have the capital um, to support that. And we realized that it would maybe take us two to three years just to recover from that first year in retail. And so our, our biggest uh, realization was that we needed to scale our retail presence down um, and work only with retailers that we had the capital to work with. And, and it's really helped us um, uh, manage our uh, sales trajectory better uh, so that we're not growing too fast because uh, you know every time we go to the manufacturing plant that also puts a strain on our cash flow so uh, we've we've now just now started to develop this equilibrium where we're able to grow uh, but not grow so fast that we're causing problems for ourselves William let's talk about pricing how did you go about setting the price for your product and did you make any mistakes doing that? Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the second part of that question first and just say yes. We absolutely made mistakes in pricing. Um, but we also knew, based on our experience in launching pharmaceutical products, that um, you can never increase your price when you first set the price, um, but it's a lot easier to bring the price down. Um, and we didn't have money to go out and do a conjoint analysis and you know do price elasticity testing and consumer acceptance and, and, and all those sorts of things. And we we're just too small to do that. Um, but what we did realize is that we were offering a product that had more value than what was available on the market today. And so we intentionally priced our product a little bit high, um, probably uh, I would call it a super premium price. Uh, knowing that we would eventually back our price down. And we uh, initially launched our product online and on Amazon uh, at this high price. And we realized that we weren't getting the velocity of sales that we wanted to. And then we systematically lowered our price down to a point where until we saw the, the sales ramp start to occur. And we would leave the price you know, at various levels for you know, four to six weeks at a time. And then we backed it down and we've now reached this um, price point that we feel very comfortable with. And it's lower than we, where we started, but it's still a premium to what, what's available in the market. And it's allowing us to grow, um, but get the, also get the um, product margins or, or pro profit margins that we're looking for. On the topic of marketing and more specifically creating awareness and demand, most startups have very small marketing budgets. How are you creating consumer awareness and demand for the product? Yeah, that's a great question because we we did have a limited amount of, of marketing budget available to us when we did when we first started, and and, and we're still uh, approaching our marketing efforts with that spirit in mind, even even though we have a little bit more capital available to us today. Um, the way we really uh, got started initially was to uh, create our own e-commerce uh, platform. So we maintain a website. Uh, drinkenu.com that where we sell product ourselves we also sell through amazon.com uh, and and we drove traffic to both of those locations through uh, search engine optimization and digital marketing efforts and we also um, uh, started to develop relationships with with key customers and influencers in the market and that's probably the the number two thing that we did beyond uh, just 
doing digital marketing efforts, we went out and met with healthcare professionals, uh, doctors, dietitians, and people that were seeing our end users on a daily basis in their medical practices. You know, people that were seeing the cancer patients and the cystic fibrosis patients, and we marketed to them they turned around and made recommendations to these patients of our products. And then that also drove people to our website, to Amazon, to make purchases. And, and that was really a, a, a key learning for us is that we could reach those influencers relatively easily uh, and efficiently by collecting emails and then doing you know, regular email blasts and, and other digital marketing efforts uh, directed at them as well. I'm curious to know, out of those 10, how many of those would respond really favorably to your product? You know, it, it's an interesting question, and uh, for the first year that we were on the market, I never heard one person say that we didn't have a better product that, than what was available uh, from our competition, which, which is primarily Boost and Insure from, from Abbott and Nestle. And the, the real difference maker really was the, the lower sugar uh, amounts and, and the fact that our product had... Uh, just an overall better nutritional profile. And especially in oncology, the, the healthcare professionals immediately recognized that, that uh, their patients were going to get a better quality of nutrition. And, and I would say even, even today, two years in, we have maintained the integrity of our product. And I, I still think that the vast majority of, of uh, healthcare professionals and influencers would, would uh, classify our product as a cut above our competition. Let's get personal. So, William, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that 99 out of 100 people just talk about starting a business but never start one. It seems to be all show and no go. Starting a business is special and actually highly unusual. What motivates a guy like you, William Brown, to stop just talking about launching a business and actually go out and start a business. Well, it's it's funny you say that, and it, it that it's all show and no go. And and I wondered even in the back of my own mind if I was ever ever going to be able to to get this company going because I had actually been talking about this for the better part of two to three years, and it it took that long for the idea to sort of germinate in my mind and for me to really clarify what our differentiation of the market was going to be and, and develop a plan of action for how we could get the product made and, and find financing for it. And it took a long time and a lot of effort. But once we got sort of the engine turned over and, and started, it became a lot easier. But, but uh, really uh, what inspired me was the, the patient and, and what, our, what I knew that our end user was going through. Um, the fact that they were just lacking in good options for nutritional products as they're battling cancer or, you know, another disease that may, uh, you know, have malnutrition associated with it. And I knew that we as a company needed to get better products onto the market. And, th and that ultimately was the inspiration for me uh, that spurred me into action and, and said, hey, you know, you've got to you've got to move this forward and get it done. Will, were you raised in an entrepreneurial household? You know, I, I actually wasn't. Um, my father served in the military, and so I, I moved uh, about every two to three years growing up. I went to three different high schools, and I, I think what that did for me, though, even though that wasn't a business environment or an entrepreneurial environment, what that did for me was 
it made me very adaptable and able to connect easily with people. And, you know, having to make friends in three different high schools <laughs> in, in, you know, four years uh, really makes you, um, I, I think, a, a little bit more uh, flexible in your interpersonal skills. And so that gave me uh, probably a little bit of an easier time in terms of, you know, meeting investors and, and meeting people that we needed to uh, engage as customers and, and uh, kind of coalesce what ultimately became Trovita. William, do you think you're a creator at heart? Was it your destiny, really, to start a business like Trevita Health? You know, I, 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 I've thought about that question a lot uh, throughout the life cycle of our company. And I, I think I actually am, uh, at the end of the day, a, a creator. I uh, grew up listening to music and, and playing guitar and, you know, write, writing uh, things. And I, I, I think that... Um, that creative spark in my brain was there, and ultimately that sort of translated into wanting to create a business and, and, and doing something that would benefit other people uh, at the same time. What have been your biggest joys, or what are you most proud of since becoming an entrepreneur? You know, I, I, uh, I think there have been probably about maybe a half a dozen times that I have gotten a personal note from somebody in the last two years, uh, and we get a lot of you know feedback on Amazon about you know the difference that our product is making. But wh what's been most meaningful for me is when I either see somebody in person, or they write me a note and they tell me their story and they say, you know, look, my either my father is going through cancer or I'm going through cancer, and here's how your product has made a difference in our lives. And to me, that just that makes me you know, feel so good about what we're doing and, and know that it was the right thing to do to start this company. And I think, uh, all that is great. But the number one thing that sticks out to me is I was, um, somewhere, uh, in Eastern Pennsylvania and I was just out randomly and, uh, and somebody walked up to me who kind of knew me through another person and they said, Hey, are you the guy that started this company? And I said, yeah, I am. And, and they said, Oh, my mother is on your product and her doctor recommended it to her. And, and to hear that story from somebody that I didn't know or had no, um, you know, connection to, but I knew that I was helping their mother. That made me feel really, really good. What has been your biggest frustration in starting Trevita Health? You know, it, I, I bring this back to uh, the capital raising. Um, while that's been, you know, re really good and, and we've been successful doing that and, and we continue to even raise more money now, um, th that's also been the biggest frustration. And not because we haven't been successful doing it, but because it takes so much time that I have not been able to really focus on running the business. And we're a very small company and we've got three co-founders and we've divided the roles and responsibilities amongst ourselves. And one of my biggest areas is, is uh, raising the money, but I've also got other responsibilities as well. But that capital raise aspect has really limited the amount that I can be involved in, you know, product creation or, um, you know, uh, customer interactions or, or different ways that we could grow the company. And that, that's really been the biggest frustration. And, and the one thing I will tell any other entrepreneur is you have to figure out a way to manage through that and sort of balance the capital raise against, um, you know, running the company as well. I'm very familiar with that frustration as well in launching 
a couple of consumer product companies that really takes you away from the heart of what you really want to do is helping those customers. William, many entrepreneurs, even seasoned ones and successful ones, experience self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey. How much self-doubt have you had, if any, and maybe what triggers it and, and how have you dealt with it? Oh, man, I, I, I've had my fair share of that for sure. Um, as, as my uh, two partners and I like to kid around with each other, you know, we, we've experienced every high and every low that you possibly could as an entrepreneur. And I, I really do think that it's a weekly roller coaster ride for us. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we get the high of knowing that we, you know, just closed a big sale or we just got into a retailer that we wanted to be in, or, you know, we got, you know, a, a note from a customer who had cancer and we heard how much we were helping them out. Those are the highs and those, those are really great for us. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, we've experienced the lows and, and I would say it's not what, well, I would say what you have to do as an entrepreneur is figure out how to minimize those. Uh, and I, what I would say is we've experienced a healthy amount of self-doubt, but never enough that's made us want to quit or you know, close up shop and, and you know, tuck our tail between our legs. Uh, if anything, our self-doubt has inspired us to figure out ways to manage through it. And you know, we've had some close calls with uh, you know, financing and you know, not not knowing if we were going to get our next manufacturing run done, and and that those are the times when you start to really feel that the most. But but once you can get through that, uh, you know, you're you, we feel you know the palpable uh, experience of going back up onto that plateau and knowing that hey, we're doing the right thing for people. As you're sort of describing, starting a new business is very difficult. How has starting your own business changed you as a person, if at all? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Uh, I think it's made me much more um, attentive to detail. Uh, you know, it, if you're working in a corporate job or you're a, a marketing director, you know, at a pharmaceutical company or a CPG company, uh, I I think that there are there are opportunities for you to make an impact in a, in an organization like that that are really meaningful, but but you can do that without you know being uh, so attentive to every detail along the way. As an entrepreneur, if you allow one thing to slip through the cracks, uh, it could cause the whole company to come crashing down. Similar to the previous question, what have you learned most about yourself in starting a business? I, I would say that uh, what I've learned is that I need to be much more uh, patient about things. And, and, and I mean that on a number of different levels. One is not every, not, uh, first of all, my emergency isn't someone else's crisis. And so if I needed to get manufacturing done quickly, um, it, it doesn't mean that our manufacturer needs to jump through hoops to, to address our, our emergency. Um, and, and I think that having uh, a, a good sense of, of patience um, and learning that I need, maybe I needed to plan better or I needed to uh, address things more, more uh, proactively uh, is is probably the the way to approach that rather than uh, you know ha being impatient with someone else, and it's ca it's caused me to be mo more mindful about uh, how we go about conducting our business, and and it's made me much more uh, proactive and and uh, and being uh, uh, made to think in advance 
about where we're going to take our business is the way that that uh, we've approached it. And and I think that uh, you know I've adjusted my approach to things uh, over the last four years, certainly. William, we're getting to the end of the podcast here, so I have two more questions. Who has been most influential to you in your life, either professionally or personally? You know, I I think that um, the the one person who I look to as as kind of or actually there if I could say this in a different way there are actually two people that have been most influential to me um, and they're both related actually so uh, the first one is my grandfather and the second one is his son and my and my uncle uh, they both passed away of cancer and you know when I started working at an oncology biotech company a dozen years ago uh, I really was interested in taking on those jobs uh, because I saw how cancer impacted their lives. Um, and I was very young when my grandfather passed away of colon cancer. And I remember sitting in my ninth grade math class when I got the news that he had passed away. And I just thought to myself, at that, in that moment, I still remember having this thought, if there's anything I could ever do in my life that would help somebody with cancer's life be better, then I wanted to do that. And uh, I think that you know going to work at MGI Pharma and working on products that uh, you know help people's quality of life through cancer or that were experiencing cancer really inspired me to start this company. And I think those two people that and that were related to me and really influential to me early on that passed away of cancer uh, has helped me really maintain the focus that I need to to be successful in, in running this company. William, finally, did I miss any questions that you feel you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? You know, John, I, I don't think you missed anything. I thought this was a, a great interview and very comprehensive. Uh, the, the one piece of advice that I would just like to leave with any entrepreneur that's out there is, is just be a bulldog and, and maintain that tenacity. If you've got a great idea it can come to market and it can it can be meaningful for the customers that you're intending it for as long as you don't give up. And I've learned in the last four years that that, that level of tenacity is required. Even if you've got a great idea, people are going to doubt you. They're not going to want to invest in your company and uh, they're, they're going to you know, say you, your idea stinks or whatever, whatever it may be. But if you maintain that tenacity and, and you know, Keep moving the ball forward. You can be successful at what you're doing. William, you've been a standout guest offering loads of great advice and interesting stories to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on all of your success, on your courage for starting Trevita Health, and for sharing your story with us. Thank you, John. I appreciate the time. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. 